Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're continuing a series of broadcasts that we're basically conducting in a beautiful venue. It's called Oak Haven Health. We're out in a beautiful rural location in southwestern Michigan. And sitting across from me is someone you've heard about if you've listened to other programs from this venue. It is Dr. John Kelly. He's the current president of Oak Haven. It's great to have you with us, John. Hey, Dr. DeRose. Good to be with you again. So Oak Haven Health is just the division that's responsible for the health programs. Is that correct? Yes. Actually, Oak Haven Health is a part of uh, Oak Haven, which includes Country Life Natural Foods, uh, health foods, and uh, a lifestyle program called Oak Haven Health. Okay. And I understand you've got about 1,200 acres here. Is that that's correct? That's right. Yeah, about 1,200 acres wooded, most uh, almost 90-some percent of it wooded. No, it's a beautiful location. You've developed a, a beautiful trail system. You can just slip out and go right out into the woods. I've enjoyed being here. Thanks for allowing me to be a part of some of the things that have been happening lately. Well, we're really glad to have your help here. So tell folks a little bit about what the vision of Oak Haven Health is. Well, the vision for Oak Haven Health is to provide a training for physicians and others in lifestyle medicine. Lifestyle medicine, uh, as your listeners may know, is an area, a, a relatively new area in uh, medicine that uses lifestyle change to treat and reverse disease. And the, the market for this, the interest in it, is just mushrooming. And so um, the Oak Haven board of, uh, about a year ago decided they needed to start a training program here on campus to supplement the uh, natural food store and, and warehousing business. And so um, I was privileged to be asked to come and join. And, and so, yeah, the vision here is to train. Uh, we are training physicians. Uh, we're also training nurses uh, and, and other professionals. We also have plans to do training of lay people, but that's mm. not uh, happening yet. Okay. So let's give us a little bit of insight into your background because we're talking about a relatively new specialty. We have, in previous shows, identified you as the founding president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. First of all, is that an accurate way to uh, describe your background? Well, yes, that is true. I had the privilege of uh, being the founding president in 2004 for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. In fact, uh, interestingly, I won an award. The American Medical Association actually gave me an award for that leadership. They consider that a leadership uh, uh, project. And so uh, I won the uh, Excellence in Medicine Award as a young physician at age 55. Now, how did you qualify for a young physician at 55? Is it because your lifestyle was so good? Was that yeah, right? yeah. I, I guess I fooled him that I looked young. <laughs> no, I, I, was, I, I truly am a young physician because medicine is a second career, and so I was a brand-new physician even though I was 55. Wow, that is amazing. So you've got an amazing story, I think, and I know our listeners want to hear about lifestyle medicine. They want to hear about Oak Haven, but I think your story is compelling because many people throughout Indian country – 
have an interest in alternative tracks and to careers, and it's not just a, an Indian country interest. It's people really throughout the country. I noticed when I was teaching in the community college system in Maine some years ago, a lot of my students were older individuals who were going back into the academic setting. I was teaching health professional students, and many were saying, hey, this is a second career. I want to become a nurse. I want to become a respiratory therapist. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, um, actually, I wanted to become a physician when I was 28. I, hmm. I had dropped out of college at 18, and um, I, I got into the computing field, they called it. Now they would call it IT. And um, I had grown up with it, and so I, had, I really had no need to go back to college for my career. But I got um, uh, an interest in spiritual things and especially in helping my fellow man instead of trying to just make my million dollars. And um, so I really seriously looked at going back to school. And the only thing I could really see myself spending that kind of time and money was to become a physician. But interestingly enough, I consulted with three colleagues, uh, and they all three of them said, "No, I don't. We don't think you should do that. That's mm. uh, that's that's going to take you ten years if if everything goes well. You know, that's if you don't flunk out." And and uh, and so you know, they they said that medical schools are reluctant to take uh, students over thirty into medical school, and so instead, I actually started working in. Um, Lifestyle centers. Uh, you've heard I probably of Weimar uh, Institute out in California. I ended up uh, spending some time there and uh, at other centers. Uh, so that it was a no go at 28. Okay, so here's the first message if you're tuning in today and someone has told you for whatever reasons you can't get into a healthcare career. Maybe you're too old, maybe you're from uh, the wrong background, maybe you don't have the right financial resources. I already see in your story, John, that you're someone who was told you couldn't become a health professional, but now I'm sitting across from a bona fide MD who's been awarded uh, an award from the American Medical Association. You've uh, uh, contributed to, to major textbooks and articles. So how did that all change? I mean, you, you gave up the vision, but somehow you must have, uh, well, grabbed it up again. Well, you know, I think uh, the, my great father brought that back to me in my 40s mm-hmm. because um, uh, I was enjoying, uh, I was doing health education as a layperson. You know, I haven't, uh, even though I dropped out of college, that uh, that was a dumb thing to do, but I wasn't exactly stupid. So uh, I was able to learn quite a few things uh-huh. uh, and shared those with lay people and, and loved it. You know, you know, one of the things that makes a person effective as a teacher really is enthusiasm. If you love what you're doing and you love teaching and explaining, it makes a good teacher. So, I, I mean, I, I think they told me I was a pretty good teacher. But what happened really was my work by then, had I was working at, at Blue Cross Blue Shield. An okay. insurance, basically health insurance firm. The brand doesn't matter. And uh, I was working in IT, and I saw how really, as I got to understand how the system worked, I thought this is so counterproductive. The motive, the the incentive of the way uh, health insurance is paid and what's rejected and what they will pay for, what they won't pay for, was just it. It didn't make sense. I mean, why would it make sense to pay for emergency care that could have been prevented if you had spent a third that much or half that much on 
prevention. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I finally just decided I'm going to become a physician and, and try to change this. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that's amazing. And so actually you go back to school at that point? Yeah. Well, yes, so I did, but I did the same thing. So I, I was really coming under this conviction in my 40s, and I thought, you know, I need to ask friends again. I mean, you know, after all, I trusted my judgment of my friends. So I sent a letter and contacted three people that, of course, by then I knew some professionals, mm-hmm. and I asked a couple of those people were doctors. Anyway, and you know, and again, every one of them agreed, but this time they all said, yes, we think you should do it. So, oh, so at 45, 45 years of age, I enrolled as a freshman to finish my college in um, community college. You said you taught in community college. Right, That's right. I went to a community uh-huh. college. And uh, that was the beginning. So I then I ended up uh, finishing up my undergraduate in three years. Mm-hmm. I did summer school, and I applied, and uh, I was accepted to two medical schools, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... But I chose to go to Loma Linda in California because the school had a reputation for a more holistic approach to health, which is mm-hmm. something I was very interested in. So you get your end up getting your medical doctor's degree, and typically when someone graduates with that MD, they go right into a, a residency and then very likely into a conventional practice. Is that pretty much what happened with you? <laughs> well, no, not not at all. Uh, actually, I mean, I didn't really want to go into a conventional practice, to be honest. Um, I was, I was, uh, I mean, I even remember having a conversation with the academic dean on the on the campus. So I think I was a third, second or third year student, and uh, we just happened to run into each other walking across campus. It was an impromptu private conversation, and he asked me, says, so what are you thinking to do when you finish your training? And I says, well, uh, honestly, I want to change medicine. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, you know, you're, uh, I, he didn't say it, but I was thinking, he's like, you're kind of old to you know, be changing medicine. Okay. But uh, I said, you know, I, I want to make it more accessible to people. I want to make it so that it's less invasive. Uh, I, I think that we need to be using lifestyle principles to, to prevent re- and treat disease. And so, you know, I, I mean, I had this, by God's grace, this vision, this, this concept uh, coming in. Uh, and so what I did instead was I ended up doing a, a degree uh, in epidemiology because I figured if I'm going to try to teach physicians and change medicine, it's got to be evidence-based. So you said you studied epidemiology. Make that simple for our listeners. Okay. So epidemiology is the study of disease upon the population or upon the people. Uh, And basically, it's a a use of biostatistics, using mathematics and statistics, to see the relationships between behavior and health or disease. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, that's how, like, epidemiology is used by the CDC when there's a, an outbreak of some kind of a food-borne uh, poisoning or something, they actually used these concepts, these techniques, to find out where is the cause of this food poisoning, what food is causing it, and where did it come from. So, yeah, it's basically a way to uh, bring science to the relationship between how we live and how we die. So you did this training after you completed your medical doctor's degree. That's correct. So was that part of a second of a residency, a first residency, yes. or a second residency? Yes, actually, uh-huh. it was. Um, it it ended up being a part of my residency in preventive medicine. Okay. 
Yeah, so I, I chose to do preventive medicine because uh, I thought it was the closest. To, what I really wanted to do was, of course, a, li- a residency in lifestyle medicine. Mm-hmm. But uh, by that time, I knew that was what this field was was being called. It was, you know, lifestyle medicine was just sort of coming into uh, its own around 2003 when I finished my residency. That's why then the, within one less than one year, by you know, amazing grace, I was able to establish the American College of Lifestyle Medicine within the first year after finishing my residency training. Wow. So you basically work with all kinds of people throughout the country, throughout the world, in this uh, new discipline of lifestyle medicine. That's true. I have, uh, to my amazement, you know, I'm just a country boy, but I have been invited and, and literally paid an honorarium to go to different places from Singapore to Romania to Korea to uh, Lithuania to teach uh, and help establish lifestyle medicine training and lifestyle medicine programs. So now you're actually based in southwestern Michigan, and you are developing a campus here where you can train physicians in these techniques. That's right. You see, the thing that I've been doing so far, I've been using outpatient or residential lifestyle treatments centers or programs to teach lifestyle medicine. But what I want to do here, and, and I was excited to come to, the, to this campus, to Oak Haven, because we're going to establish a treatment program that's configured and designed to, to teach. And, of course, you know, to teach a healer, you have to have patients. You have to have people that need healing. And so we're very interested, of course, in treating people, but, but the program design will be geared to efficient training. So at this point, uh, there's opportunities for people who want training as well as people who want to be treated using lifestyle medicine principles to come here to Oak Haven Health. Before we uh, step away for uh, uh, just a couple minutes, give us some contact information where people can uh, access uh, your program. Well, sure. Uh, the online website is www.oakhavenhealth, uh, no spaces, dot com, and uh, where our physical address is in Pullman, Michigan, 49450. Okay, so simply oakhavenhealth.com. And is there a phone number, too, where, uh, where people yes, can reach you? Yes, yes. Uh, that's area code 269 236 8326. 269-236-8326. We'll give you that contact information one more time, uh, at least when we come back. We're going to talk about why you and your friends, your loved ones, may want to think about lifestyle medicine, what kind of diseases it can treat, how it can help you. More right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it. But it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Across from me, Dr. John Kelly, president of Oak Haven in Pullman, Michigan. Dr. Kelly, we've been speaking about lifestyle medicine and your own personal journey to change medicine. You are making a difference, I can tell you that, just from my own observations here and, of course, over the years. John, one important question, because a lot of people may be asking that, especially if they have professional backgrounds. And just by way of disclosure, I am a board-certified physician in preventive medicine. And even as recently as this year, I was at the American College of Preventive Medicine's annual meeting. It happened to be in, in Pittsburgh. And... A lot of people who are listening, if they know about preventive medicine, they're saying, well, how is lifestyle medicine different than preventive medicine? Is that a, a reasonable question? Oh, it's a, it's an excellent question. And, in fact, as you know, I'm also board certified, trained and board certified in preventive medicine, as I mentioned earlier. But the, the so here's the thing. Uh, we, who especially who are trained in this, know that the focus of preventive medicine is truly preventing disease. It's mm-hmm. it's things like immunization, vaccination, uh, etc., early detection, uh, and so that is uh, that's great. I mean, ideally, it would be wonderful if we could prevent all disease. Okay, this mm-hmm. this isn't going to happen, but it's a good thing. However, the difference is that lifestyle medicine is using lifestyle change to treat and reverse disease. The American College of Lifestyle Medicine specifically uh, differentiates itself uh, from preventive medicine by focusing on treatment and reversal. But it is here's why it's so interesting and there's so much overlap is that it, it turns out that the lifestyle changes that can reverse disease are highly effective to prevent disease. So, so there is a lot of overlap in the kinds of lifestyle uh, habits 
that are promoted by prevention, preventive medicine, and public health that are also used in lifestyle medicine. The big difference being that in lifestyle medicine, it's being used to treat existing disease. And so, whereas when I practice uh, preventive medicine, for example, I might be working on public health education, uh, you know, the five a day is is preventive medicine. But when I'm working in lifestyle medicine, I actually have a patient that I'm treating that has a condition and I have to manage their uh, medications. I have to manage their disease while we use lifestyle to uh, reverse or to treat their disease. So let's uh, make it practical. Let's speak about a condition we speak a lot about in Indian country, and that is diabetes. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of work going on with prevention of diabetes. I mean, some exciting things happening in Indian country. But help us to understand, what is the difference between diabetes prevention and lifestyle medicine treatment of diabetes? Yes. So with diabetes prevention, we would be talking about uh, a diet, diets, exercise, uh, lifestyle habits that we know reduce insulin resistance and the causes of type 2 diabetes. Of course, we're primarily here focusing on type 2 diabetes because that's the diabetes that you get from basically lifestyle, poor lifestyle habits over time, whereas the type 1 diabetes is the type uh, that where your pancreas cannot produce insulin. Uh, so I want to focus on the type 2 in this discussion. Please, please. The thing that we do in lifestyle medicine treatment for diabetes is first off, the intervention must be more uh, intensive and more dramatic. In other words, mm. you can prevent uh, the onset of diabetes with relatively small changes from, from a typical lifestyle perhaps, but when you already have type 2 diabetes and your sugar is out of control and you're needing medication, we have to make more dramatic changes. We have to make more intensive changes to your lifestyle. So a lot of my friends in Indian country are working with the DPP, the Diabetes Prevention Program. So they might identify a tribal member or many tribal members who have what we might call pre-diabetes, and they enroll them in a program. And it's moderate exercise, some modest weight loss, and what the research shows is that can prevent the development of diabetes. Yes. If I'm not mistaken, it, the statistic is that it delays it five to six years is the, the results that they're getting so far from the DPP. So basically what you're saying is, yes, moderate amounts of weight loss, moderate exercise can help prevent the condition. But once you've got diabetes, just doing that moderate exercise and moderate weight loss may not be enough. Exactly. For example, uh, when we, we and it's becoming now a public health message is that if you have diabetes, active diabetes, 30 minutes of exercise a day should not be your target. It mm. should be one hour. Okay, okay. And I'm sure you've, you've heard that number. So, yeah, that's a good illustration of how, and that's, this is what's so interesting. One of the reasons that lifestyle medicine was catching on slowly for quite some time was that people were using the dosing for prevention and trying to use that dose to do reversal, and you and it won't work. It's like if you take a baby aspirin for headache, that's not going to be very effective. Mm. It's fine for maybe thinning the blood, but it's not going to fix a headache. So, so in lifestyle medicine treatment, the the intervention has to be stronger, more highly dosed, and um, 
And the power is unbelievable. The, the effect that you can observe. Uh, the most dramatic thing I've seen in my own personal practice uh, has been when I did a 10-day immersion program in Lithuania. Okay. And we had uh, the blood test on a Monday followed by a following Monday. So tw- seven, seven days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one person's cholesterol dropped more than 100 points. Wow. I mean, even I'm surprise still it's amazing now to, to to explain that this person had very high levels their 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 cholesterol before the program was uh way high i don't remember the exact number but it was above 300 okay okay so you know some people would say if they're listening you know people that have a statistics background they sometimes throw around a term that even professionals sometimes i think struggle they say well that's just regression to the mean what does someone mean by that, and is that a reasonable explanation? Well, the regression to the mean is a concept that when you have a large enough sample uh, of, of data, mm-hmm. that there's a tendency for there to be a uh, an effect that is an artifact, uh, shall we say, of statistics, not a real, not something real. And uh, but no, that. We have so many different interventional studies and different um, analyses that that's not the explanation for what's going on with lifestyle changes that reverse disease. And, in, and in really the most uh, certain evidence that it's not regression to the mean is that we now know the mechanisms. We've actually, with, mm. with the genetic studies that are being done, we now actually have traced and we can see what happens to the gene switches that the, the switches that are that are causing the prediabetes and the diabetes are actually being reversed on the on the DNA, and so we we know this is not just a re, uh, an artifact. This is real biology. So let's talk a little bit about this. I know some years ago, uh, as I recall at least, we had you on this uh, very same show, American Indian Living, and you were talking some about the science of epigenetics. This seems like what you're invoking right now. It, it is true, and I have talked about this before, and I'll probably be talking about this until I die because the what epigenetics is about in, in simple terms is it's about the switches on the genes. You see, every cell in our body uh, comes from that first cell when the sperm and the egg joined and formed as what we call a zygote, and that became two, and each one of those became two. And, and then there's trillions of cells in the human body, each with a copy of that same chromosomes, that same DNA. So if every cell in my body has the same DNA, then how is it that some of it makes an ear, you know, some of it makes a toenail? Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and it's about the switches. Hmm. So, so the epigenetics is the part of genetics that looks at the switching process. And it, it turns out that that uh, lifestyle changes, uh, for example, exercise has been shown to change hundreds of gene switches. Diet, perhaps over a thousand. Sleep, maybe seven hundred or more. So, so the the lifestyle practices, lifestyle habits, the habits of our daily living, are driving the gene switches. Which and then the gene switches are what's driving us, driving our health or our disease or our reversal of disease. So someone might have been told that they got dealt a bad genetic hand, or maybe, uh, as was the case, I remember years ago, and I've told this illustration on air before, I was visiting an Indian Health Service facility, and one of the 
counselors there who was at a, at a meeting I was uh, invited to speak there was sharing a story of how a young man was very depressed. And, and finally, when it came to the point that, that he opened up, basically his depression was he felt destined to having his legs amputated and going on dialysis because that's what he saw happening to his parents and his grandparents. But what I hear you saying is even if there are things in my immediate family, in my tribe, in my community, even if I have the same genes, if I change my lifestyle, I could theoretically switch off some of those bad genes, turn on some good ones or, or gene products? Absolutely. Wow, wow. Yeah. In fact, you know, I, um, I did some research on diabetes in the Marshall Islands where the Marshall Island people have high rates of diabetes, and we showed that we could reverse diabetes even in a population that has a higher risk than usual genetically. So, so lifestyle definitely overcomes uh, genetic susceptibility. Wow. We have got to talk more about the power of lifestyle medicine. And we're going to give you more information about how you can tap into it right at Oak Haven Health. Information more American about their Indian program will continue and in a moment. things that if you, you can do that can make a difference in your own life, whether you ever show up in southwestern Michigan or not. I'm Dr. David DeRose, Dr. John Kelly, and I will be back with more. You stay tuned. Don't go away. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Dr. John Kelly and I are speaking about lifestyle medicine as well as some of the opportunities here at Oak Haven Health. Before we speak about those more specifically, John, we've been talking a little bit. You just alluded to indigenous peoples in the Pacific Islands. A lot of similarities if if you look at the research as far as Native Americans here in uh, in North America and, and even Central America and, and beyond. So indigenous peoples, many of them, very healthy, historically eating indigenous foods, things that uh, had worked well for them for many centuries. You have colonization, changes in lifestyle. That happened in the Marshall Islands, didn't it? Yes, it did. In fact, you know, the uh, Chamorro is what the native peoples are called there. And they had a lifestyle that was uh, originally very uh, rural in the sense that they ate coconuts, they caught fish, they, they, uh, some of the islands can grow. Uh, some of them don't have much soil, but many of them uh, could grow a variety of things, native foods. But after World War II, they raid, in fact, there was a survey done. There was a survey done right after World War II by the U.S. government, and there were only two uh, individuals in all of the Marshall Islands that were diabetic. Really? Yes, two chieftains, actually. Huh. And uh, and then uh, within 40 years, now, uh, well, let me just jump up to uh, 2005 or six when we were there. The rate was about 50% of the population was pre-diabetic. And so it was not genetic change. The, mm. There was no large influx of genetic changes. This was actually a very stable population uh, genetically. But what had happened was they had adopted many of the uh, dietary habits brought by the GIs and the Americans that came in and when, you know, put a base on uh, uh, oh, eBay and uh, a, a military base. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, the, the diabetes rate was so high that the 80% of the admissions to the hospital in the capital city, Majuro, were due to preventable complications of diabetes. Wow. So wow. the Ministry of Health in the Marshall Islands said simply, we, we cannot afford it. We cannot sustain this. We cannot, we cannot do this. And so I was privileged to be involved with Canvas Back Missions an NGO over there that was providing uh, medical care and had seen the way that diabetes was consuming resources. And so uh, we got a federal grant to do a study, and we used a lifestyle uh, program, including uh, a, a diet, a plant, largely plant-based diet and some, some fish, and um, with exercise, and uh, it reversed diabetes in about a, a third of the test subjects, mm -hmm. about a third it improved, and about one third uh, they decided this was not something they were willing to do yet, and, and it mm -hmm. did not make any significant difference. But what it did show was that in every one of those Native peoples that made some of the changes, it either improved or reversed their disease. Now, you have taken that experience, and you've translated it, into a simple, efficient program here at Oak Haven Health. You'll have people come for 10 days, is that correct? That's and, right. And try to teach them these principles in an intensive way. We call it a 10-day immersion. 
And is it effective in helping people make some of the changes that you were doing there in the Marshall Islands? Absolutely. It's quite remarkable. In fact, even in the Marshall Islands, we did measures at two weeks, Mm -hmm. and we saw uh, a large portion of the change actually occurs in the first two weeks. Wow. Uh, And so here uh, we have a 10-day immersion, and uh, the blood tests are done uh, eight days apart. We have seen already, and we've just done a couple of these, we have seen similar results with somewhere around uh, 20 to 30% reduction in, in the risk factors. The thing I want to speak to is diabetes because that's sort of what our topic is. And also, this is one of the biggest uh, health issues in native uh, country in America, native populations. And, and the thing is that probably, I, I would say this to you, David, that nothing responds more uh, uh, beautifully and quickly and, and powerfully to a lifestyle change than type 2 diabetes. I mean, I would rather treat type 2 diabetes with lifestyle given a choice than, than any other condition, even though we have proof that it can reverse heart disease. We know that it can uh, improve inflammatory conditions. But I love treating uh, type 2 diabetes because the worse the disease is, it seems, the better uh, the results are. Now, for the medical our experts that might be listening, I do need to uh, point out there is a limit to that. If the type 2 diabetes has been poorly controlled long enough, then it does slow down recovery. Hmm. But that's not the case for the vast majority of people I've treated. I've run into very few of these, and I know you've treated diabetes too, and you know uh, this, this situation where the type 2 diabetes is now impaired. The pancreas does happen, but it's rare. American Indian Living goes out on some 200 stations throughout the country and and even beyond. A number of those stations are part of a network called Strong Tower Radio. I know that network has a a very major presence in Michigan, which is where they're based. And there are folks listening on those stations throughout Michigan. You are right here in that state. Do you typically have openings in your programs, or are you booked up for, for months in advance? Well, right now we have openings. Um, uh, we d- we have actually we are booked up on the training side. We have we've had doctors that wanted to enroll, and we had to say we we don't have any room right now. But as far as patients and health guests, we call them. We have room, and we welcome uh, applicants to apply, and we'd love to have them come. Now, even the professionals. I'm assuming you have a waiting list, and you have you know programs running serially. So you're not discouraging professionals from no, calling. No, I'm not. But uh, but uh, of course, then one other factor is we're we're just a couple of months away from the annual board exam, and so the demand sort of rises before just before that exam takes place. And I think that's why we we maxed out was we people so many want to take the training to get ready for the exam in October. Okay, okay, fair enough. So how does someone get a hold of O'Cave and Health? Well, the best way is probably by phone. If you want to talk to someone in person, that would be 269-236-8326, 269-236-8326. Another, of course, way is you can contact us on the Internet uh, at our website, uh, www.oakhavenhealth.com. That's three words all together, oakhavenhealth.com. That is for our immersion program. Uh, for training, you actually, it's uh, lifestylemedicinetraining.org. 
lifestylemedicinetraining.org. Uh, and then we also, of course, can have an email address here uh, at immersion.program at clnf.org. Okay, so I think we'll try to keep it simple, John. Let's give out these two addresses. As long as they can get to oakhavenhealth.com, right? that's they it. Can, they can get link with all this. Anything we need. And if you're needing a phone number, again, that's 269-236-8326. John, I want to transition a little bit. We've been speaking about diabetes, of course. Uh, that's, uh, that's important. And uh, no one would ever want to minimize the importance of diabetes. But you mentioned other conditions as well. And one of the things that I often hear people asking questions about has to do with cancer. Because, again, we're talking about this difference between prevention with lifestyle and treatment. The big debate that I've often heard is, does lifestyle really have any impact in cancer treatment? Or do you just leave it to the oncologist, get your chemotherapy, your radiation, and hope for the best? Well, I think this is a, a very reasonable and valid question. And, uh, and, it, and I personally think that it's, it's a little nuanced. It's not, it's not monolithic. Uh, I do not believe there's evidence, and I'm speaking as an epidemiologist and a lifestyle medicine doctor, I don't believe there's solid evidence that there's a diet or a food that you can eat that will absolutely prevent all cancer okay. or reverse any cancer. But it is very, very important that we, under, that we realize, and there's plenty of published studies showing that there are a variety of phytochemicals that we now actually know the the mechanism by which they preferentially cause cancer cells to commit suicide, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this apoptosis that um, is how, uh, and, and there are mechanisms that these some sp- specific phytochemicals are known to induce a cancer cell to, in essence, kill itself or to allow the body to kill it. So, so we do know there's benefits to diet in fighting cancer. So when we talk phytochemicals, these are chemicals that are found exclusively or primarily in plants? Yeah, these are, well, yes, this is a, a, you know, a scientific word. It means plant chemical, phytochemical. So these are chemicals in plants. Some of them are exclusive to plants. Some are found elsewhere, but, but the, by and large, they're, they're uh, predominantly in plant. So your point would be, if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, an individual who has a diagnosis of cancer, we're not telling them, don't listen to your cancer specialist. But what I hear you saying is there's evidence that lifestyle might be able to help in dealing with, with cancer, and it, and it includes eating a variety of fruits and vegetables and other plant foods that have these phytochemicals. Correct. Correct. And, and again, as I say, as an epidemiologist, I'm talking about published studies that lead to this not not some uh, you know favorite idea, and and the thing is, we know that not only do these uh, chemicals from the plants these these things found in plant foods, do they help kill the cancer cells? But more than that, they're also what was called antioxidant. They're cleansing uh, properties that help. If I'm taking chemotherapy, for example, or radiation, these things are causing there to be toxins in my body that I need to get rid of. And so a plant diet has been shown to help that as well. So I appreciate what's happening here at Oak Haven Health. This is not just a program where someone sits down with you as the the physician on the program 
and gets individual counsel. But you have a whole team of people. You have guest lecturers. Uh, you give me the privilege of giving some of the lectures here uh, for the program. And people are learning things that are connecting all these dots. So it's not just giving them a program, but it's increasing their capacity to understand why we're recommending, for example, to eat more fruits and vegetables, why it's important to exercise. I heard you giving a talk addressing some of these aspects of cancer, and you were talking about some very interesting research that Dr. Dean Ornish had done with prostate cancer. Can you summarize that for us? Yeah, yeah, that's a, he's done some remarkable work. This uh, was the first study was that I'm talking about is called the Geminal study. But anyway, this was published in 2008, and what had happened was uh, Dr. Ornish had noticed in some of the men that were in the studies he did on heart disease that not only did their heart disease improve, but so did things like diabetes and cancer and other diseases. And so then they began doing some specific studies looking at the effect of this diet on prostate cancer, the leading cancer in um, the world right now. And it was highly effective. I would love to tell you a little bit more about it. We're going to hear more about it when we come back with our final segment of American Indian Living, things you can do to make a difference when it comes to cancer, that and more from Oak Haven Health in southwestern Michigan. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Really want to encourage you to stay by. A lot more practical information. And we'll give you that contact information one more time if it slipped by a little too quickly. Stay tuned. More right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. <laughs> 
Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with Dr. John Kelly, president of Oak Haven Health. He's also the founding president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. We've been speaking about how lifestyle medicine can change your life. Changes in your lifestyle can help you reverse type 2 diabetes. It even can make a difference with cancer. Dr. Kelly had begun to talk with us about research of Dr. Dean Ornish. Some of you may know that name back in 1990. Hard to believe it was that long ago. Dr. Ornish published results on how you could reverse blockage in heart arteries. You could bypass a bypass if you just changed your lifestyle. John, you told us that when he was doing that work, he found that other things were changing beside the blockages in heart arteries. Bring us back up to speed. Yeah. So, yes, one of the things, of course, about lifestyle change is it's not only good for the reason that you are taking the treatment, say in this case for uh, heart disease blockages, but it he discovered that it was also improving blood sugar and other things, blood pressure. So this study that we were talking about uh, for prostate cancer was published in uh, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science in 2008. And what they did was they had 30 men with prostate cancer that agreed to do the study, and they took actual uh, needle biopsies. So they took tissue from the prostate tissue uh, and analyzed it uh, at the beginning of this 90 days. And then the men for 90 days were taught to eat a more plant-based diet uh, and uh, to moderate exercise. Basically, it was the same program that he was using for reversing heart disease. Mm -hmm. Very little Mm -hmm. difference. And uh, at the end of the 90 days, they took another uh, biopsy of the prostate cancer and did an analysis. And uh, the result of that was they showed that the over 450 genes were turned down or off. Some of those genes, they didn't even know what they do yet. But many of them they recognized as genes that were associated with cancer. So they Mm. were being turned down or off. There was, interestingly, about 50, 49, I believe it was, that were turned up or on. And you, you're, you know, you might initially think, oh, that's not good. Well, yes, because when they identified some of those, they were cancer-fighting genes. These really? Were, so isn't that interesting that Very the, same, interesting. the same dietary and lifestyle change will turn down the harmful genes, turn up the good genes? It's, it's, it's marvelous. But anyway, the part I really want to mention is that they tracked many, many different conditions. And in this, in this 90 days, these men lost approximately six pounds mm-hmm. average. They, their blood pressure dropped nine millimeters of mercury. In other words, it was almost a 10-point drop in their systolic their blood pressure. Their cholesterol dropped 45 milligrams per deciliter. That's, that's as much as putting a person on a medication. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their blood sugars, those that had high blood sugars, their blood sugars dropped also. So, so yes, lifestyle was shown in that study unequivocally to help put prostate cancer in remission, but at the same time helped all these other things, including diabetes. So now you are not a site that is running the Dean Ornish program. No. But you are running a program that 
I guess a lot of people looking on would say is somewhat similar. Yes, really. There are, you're right. It's not the Dean Ornish program, which of course he has uh, appropriately uh, copyrighted or whatever, but it is uh, the same basic idea of all of these programs shown to be effective is a larger amount of plant foods in the diet, a less processing. There is, you know, you take even a healthy plant or a healthy nut or a healthy bean and if you process it and and, and uh, you can turn it into something that's not healthy for mm. you. And so so we emphasize uh, plant foods, less processed. And for our Native Americans, uh, friends, this is much more the way their ancestors ate. You know, right, there, right. there was no processing 200 years ago. Uh, and an interesting thing, I know this might make some of my other colleagues not so excited, but uh, the fact of the matter is you do not have to be a vegetarian. Uh, and certainly you don't have to be a vegan to have a healthy lifestyle. But I want to say something then on the other side. If you want maximum treatment effect, if you want to get the strongest reversal of your disease and the quickest, then you do want to go with as, as few non-plant foods as possible until you get this thing turned around to, 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 to turn the herd, uh, the stampede, because the chronic disease is like an out-of-control stampede, and you need to turn it. So is it safe to say here at uh, Oak Haven Health, you're not going to see all that much uh, cheese and, and meat and fish, maybe just a little bit every now and then? There's going to be little non-plant foods served here. Uh, there's uh, In the Marshall Islands, for example, we focused on plant foods because that's the, the food that reverses disease, but we certainly taught the people how to choose the healthiest fish if when they ate fish, how to eat the healthiest native plants, etc. Yes. Okay. Well, Dr. Kelly, a lot of folks are, are have been tuning in and they've been saying, hey, I've heard a lot about lifestyle and diabetes. We talked about that. I've heard less about lifestyle and cancer. We've touched a little bit on that. Is it safe to say Really, we've pretty much covered the whole field of lifestyle medicine in this uh, hour or so that we've had. Well, there are there are other things that we haven't touched on. Uh, we've certainly done adequate, but for example, autoimmune conditions hmm. definitely have been shown uh, found to improve. It seems that the immune system responds very well to the phytochemicals in a plant diet. Uh, we didn't touch that much on, uh, for example. Uh, inflammatory conditions, uh, joint pains, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, other t- kinds of inflammatory conditions, but they too uh, respond. What's happened is, as you I believe you know, we started off uh, finding out that lifestyle was effective in heart disease because it was the leading killer in the mm-hmm. United States. But as we studied it more, we found out that it was it was helping uh, numerous other conditions. And so, as research expands, basically. We're finding it's helpful for practically everything, but uh, we have the best evidence for heart disease, diabetes, uh, and the evidence for cancer is growing. The evidence for autoimmune and inflammatory conditions is lagging somewhat because the research has just not been done as much. Now, while I've been here, you have allowed me to look at your copy of uh, a textbook on lifestyle medicine. And a lot of people would say, well, they could probably condense that all into maybe, what, a 100 pages or so? How long is that current edition of the Lifestyle Medicine textbook? Well, I haven't memorized the number of pages, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood probably of about 1,200, 1,100, 1,200 pages. This is a uh, 
the we might say the the Bible of lifestyle medicine or the anyway the 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 main text. Uh, Dr. James Rippey is the editor, and he his vision was to create a textbook that contained everything you ever wanted to know as a clinician about lifestyle medicine, and uh, it's it's excellent. I've I uh, bought one of the first edition, and I've had the privilege, uh, and thank you, Dr. Rippey, to actually contributing a chapter in the third edition that just came out. Okay, excellent. Uh, just curious, what chapter is that that you contributed to? <laughs> uh, it's chapter 87. It's the chapter about the use of intensive lifestyle change to reverse disease. Uh, this is the area of lifestyle medicine I personally choose to focus on. So basically, the kind of world authority, at least the, the world authority as far as writing about it, uh, Dr. Rippey, when he was wanting to write a chapter in his book about intensive lifestyle medicine, he tapped you to write that chapter. Yes, he did. That was a privilege. And that's what you're doing here at uh, Oak Haven Health. You're running intensive lifestyle medicine programs. That's correct. And there's a, and there's a connection there. You see, the best way to train clinicians is in an intensive treatment setting because that's when they see the most change, they get the best education. And so not only because it's the way to make the most difference in a short period of time, but also the best way to train clinicians. This is fantastic. So again, for clinicians who've been listening in, you're a physician, maybe you work in Indian Health Service, maybe you don't work with uh, First Nation peoples at all, maybe you work in a in a clinic that's run by a tribe, but you are, are tuned in today, you're listening to American Indian Living, and you're saying, boy, I would love to have some of these lifestyle medicine tools to use with my patients, to use in my practice, or maybe even to start an intensive lifestyle program on a reservation uh, or working primarily for First Nation peoples. John, is that... Uh Realistic. Oh, it is realistic. I, in fact, I and many other lifestyle medicine people, f- clinicians, would be happy to help with such a thing. So they should go to lifestylemedicine.org. That's the website for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. These are colleagues that are really excited about doing this kind of thing, lifestylemedicine.org. Okay, so lifestylemedicine.org, that is one place to go. And again, we'll once more give you the information for Oak Haven. That's where John is based. If you want to come here as a clinician for training or if you are someone who says, boy, what could a 10-day intensive do for me? You want to actually experience it? John, how does uh, someone take advantage of that? Yes, so the website, www.oakhavenhealth.com, oakhavenhealth.com. Our uh, phone number is 269-236-8326. Again, that phone number, 269-236-8326. Dr. Kelly, thank you so very much. Good to be with you, Dr. DeRose. Well, that's all for today's edition of American Indian Living. Hopefully you've enjoyed and benefited from today's show. And as always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.